Everybody, my name is MJ, and you're listening to the one and only MTG in Quarantine Podcast. As usual, before I get started, I'm going to give a quick shout out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to utilize this opportunity to give a huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at Patreon.com/slash MTG in Quarantine. So, huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Nick S. Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, and Coach j for supporting the show and helping make more radio announcer voices like this possible. If you want to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. Today's episode of the podcast is another in the Noah Brewer series, where I bring awesome fellow content creators and members of the Magic the Gathering community onto the show to just talk us through their usual deck-building style for EDH. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's contestant, guest, whatever you want to say. I'd like to introduce Sarah, the anime tomboy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right, yeah, so before we get started here, uh, do you want to give a quick shout-out to your social media presence? Cool beans. Hi, guys. I'm Sarah MSMTG, or Sarah the Anime Tomboy, here on Twitter and Twitch, and I just kind of tweet about whatever, even if it's not necessarily always EDH-related. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I am unashamedly me, but I try not to cause problems. Well, that, that's definitely good. I think we could definitely use more folks like that during uh, some of the discourse phases that seem to happen on uh, Magic the Gathering, you know, preview season or literally every day. So. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, Magic preview season. That is upon us. Yes, yes. The uh, never-ending preview season to the point where I actually saw someone today say that um, the fact that there wasn't a preview today was almost making them wonder, uh, you know, is, is everything all right with the world? I think we've kind of gotten to that point. I think so. And honestly, that's kind of a nice break. Because I know that we had a break from it last year as mm-hmm. well. Oh, I mean, I'm, I have uh, access to grind with the way the story is going right now. But, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a dirty Vorthos player. So, um, yeah, don't, don't mind me. Anyway, but we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. So... Yeah, we're, we're basically going to tell the good folks listening out there, you know, again, how do you build your decks? How do you get inspiration? You know, what kinds of cards do you like using? What are your favorite colors? Just, you know, various things like that. So without further ado, I'd like to get started with the very popular first question in the Noah Brewer series, and that is this. Are you the kind of person who typically builds decks around a legendary commander or and put another way, do you see a legendary creature that you like and then you want you feel inspired to build around that? Or 
Are you more the kind of person who likes building a 99 around a certain theme, around a certain set of mechanics, and then you try to find a commander that works with those? See, I kind of build like a theme kind of deck. More along the latter half of what you were going with. Like, I was, well, actually I have a deck right in front of me that fits the exact bill. It's Admiral Beckett Brass, Pirate. Mm -hmm. So I try to make everything themed around a pirate, even if it's just art or the name of the card, sometimes the mechanics. It really, really depends on who the commander is, but I'm honestly, I just, I love building around a central theme. It makes it so much easier. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, with Admiral Becca Brassi, it's just, you, it's kind of obvious you're probably building pirates. I mean, you could be the kind of the rogue brewer who decides to build a non-pirates pirate theme deck. But that, that that gets kind of meta. That's the kind of weird stuff that I would do, but I don't know if everyone else shares that kind of sentiment. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so once you have an idea, once you have that theme, that core thing you want to do, walk us through your process of selecting the cards to go in that deck. Ooh, that is actually a really good thing to kind of rabbit hole on. Because... It also really just depends on the deck. Like with Admiral Beckett Brass, what I was going more for was kind of a way where I can make a whole entire pun out of a deck. With some good cards in there. Like, don't get me wrong. They're not all, like, really jank stuff. I, like, I do have answers, you know, like Demonic Tutor or... You know, occasionally spell pierce, but this is also the spell pierce where it's the Ixalan. But I also try to make it where it's pretty typical of what you would think that group would do. Like with pirates, they're stealing things. So I have a whole lot of stealing effects like active treason or hijack, which is always fun to do, especially if you're hijacking Ulamog the ceaseless hunger and then your friend steals that same spell and also hijacks that ulamog the next turn and uses it against their opponents but that's a whole other thing and i also take into consideration the mana cost but yeah that's that's pretty much how i go about doing that if i try to cram too many really efficient things in here then it just kind of makes it not fun for me and occasionally not fun for my whoever i'm playing with like my friends or anything like that yeah you know edh again is a very social game and we want to make sure we're not you know ticking people off too that's especially in a local play group where you know people can be kind of vindictive sometimes about things i i know all too well about that Exactly, and I know that I can occasionally do a spite play every now and then. That also depends on how well the rest of the group is doing, because what I also try to do is equalize it and make it a fair playing experience for everybody. And mm -hmm. so that, way, yeah, so that way I'm not, you know, specifically targeting one person who's being problematic. Because I have mm -hmm. someone in my play group who. Tends to be very polarizing with his mono black rage deck. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be naming names, but he, he does tend to be like that just in general, even though he's he's still fairly new to EDH. Little spiky, in other words. We'll, we'll just say that. Yeah. yeah, he's a little spiky. A little bit. Okay. Yeah, so the next thing here, I think, is asking, are you the kind of person who runs a lot of pet cards in your EDH decks? I do. I do tend to run a lot of pet cards. What are some of your pet cards? Oh, I tend to be a little bit more man on the mana-based side for that. Like, of course, typical Soul Ring, but like Lotus Petal occasionally. Uh, Lotus Bloom on occasion as well. Like, I know I have Lotus Bloom in Beckett Brass right now, but that's also because she also has some pretty mana-expensive cards, like Stargo. And that's a whole other confusing, confusing card on its own, but still, I'd rather be prepared and have the mana available just so I can cast them in case I don't have any other artifacts out on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's definitely a good thing to have pet cards that are also you know, quote-unquote good cards. I try not to make a generalization on my show because, you know, as the listeners out there know, I like building absolute jank with cards you've probably never heard of, and I can do quite well with that. But it's always nice to have, you know, good, objectively good cards in your deck. It is for sure, and I play a lot of PDH too, mm. which I really play any of those except for a lotus petal but i think that also just kind of takes into at least with pdh it, you really see a lot of cards shine in that and they're most often cards that aren't typically played or considered powerful in any regard but it's also kind of a refreshing way to be able to see those cards be like oh I have never seen this card in my life. What does it do? Mm-hmm. It was something that was printed with a white border in 1995 that uh, messes with snowlands. I mean, just, you know, things like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or yeah. even some of the more recent cards. Not everybody knows every single card in every set. And this, so this is, see, those cards shine can be really cool as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I think that's where I get a lot of my enjoyment of EDH is in seeing those cards or running those cards, honestly. There, right? There, there's a certain kind of thrill that you get uh, actually having to read a card for someone, or you almost, in some ways, you almost feel kind of insulted that someone doesn't know what your card does. It's like, how couldn't you know what this card does? Isn't it obvious? Um, right? Yeah, I, I right? think maybe I've been playing too much jank for too long. I've kind of gotten... Uh, complacent with it i don't know um i see yeah that's how i feel about some of the other formats as well like standard and modern where it's like i'm not necessarily always you know the most knowledgeable about the cards in those formats so it's just like oh i see this thing come out because i mean my my real life play group we played both commander and 60 card, whatever. And so I'll see a card, I'll be like, oh, what does that do? And they'll be like, wait, what are you, what are you doing? What are you saying? You don't know this card? 
like, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I don't necessarily play 60 cards very much. I'm more EDH, y'all know this. Yep. But it is, yeah, it's, it's definitely fun to see the little bit more janky cards get their time to shine. All right. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. That's something I can definitely get on board with. Um, yeah, next question is, so you've built the deck and it's time to play test the deck. Are you the kind of person who, if you feel like you need to make changes, makes changes to cards immediately? Or are you the kind of person who is going to, you know, take your time and then use kind of a mass of games to figure out what comes and what, what goes? It really depends on the deck. I know that with, I've done that before in the past where I'll be like, oh, okay, I need to make changes for this because I either don't have enough answers for something like creature removal or spot removal, or I'll just be like, okay, let's see what happens in an actual game. And then just kind of make adjustments from there. Okay. So, yeah, Do you goldfish your decks at all? I do. Okay. Occasionally. Occasionally. There's some where I'll just throw it together, see what happens at the next F&M. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm kind of like that too. It's like with my more optimized decks, I want to make sure that I know the deck is going to do the thing or, you know, I, I wasted my time, right? But with my more casual decks, you know, I'm going to throw them together. I'm going to play them sometimes and then make some changes as time goes on. I'm not going to goldfish them because... You typically have time more casual games. That's that's the way I look at it. You can kind of just see where your cards are going. Think the games aren't as fast, and you have that chance to see where your synergies are, and also just where things are just complete nonbos, and you just don't want to deal with that. and I I think that also depends on the overall goal of the deck. If you do want to be more efficient with it, then yeah, go ahead goldfish it because that's really one of the best ways to get the optimized decks yep. but if you just want to you know mess around and find out to not put too much cursing into anything mm -hmm. then just like hey throw stuff together go have fun go bonkers oh yeah i mean i i uh we'll, we'll use an anecdote from a recent game that i had where i rebuilt a deck and it didn't do, you know, the most powerful thing that the deck could do, but I still drew 20 cards off of it. So I consider that powerful, even though that wasn't really the intent of, of that synergy beforehand. It just happened to work out really well in a long game where I had the chance to, to do the thing. Just, uh, you know, couldn't finish the game, but I certainly had uh, resources available to me. So always nice to, to find those things that you don't check during playtesting, too. It is, and you just, you never know. You never know how something's going to work until you can actually see it in a game. Yep. All right. And that's all. Yep. Yeah. That's yep. Great. Yep. So, I think since we've talked about the Beckett, Bre Beckett Brass deck, geez, say that three times fast. Um, the, the real last question I have for you today is, besides that Pirates deck, is there another deck that you have either been working on lately or have finished recently that you just really want to talk about for a couple of minutes? Actually, there is, and it's 
one that I've been kind of working on on and off and just going bonkers with over the last, I want to say about six months, because I've been on streaming games with it and it's it's been fun and it's almost one, not quite, but we almost got there once. And it's, I like to call it Borborygmos' Jurassic Park. Okay. It's not Borborygmos and Rage, like how everybody thinks it is. It is normal Borborygmos. The, the OG Borborygmos, yes. Yes, the one who caused that whole specific rule to be made in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is dinosaurs. It is themed around Jurassic Park movies. Not necessarily the Jurassic World, which uh, does that's a whole other thing for an old other day. But I've also been thinking about making Jetmir to fit more like John Hammond kind of power, per se. Okay. But yeah, no, it's dinosaurs and anything having to do with dinosaurs, with the occasional, you know, good card and like a worldly tutor or see there's red, so that's Dammel, which, I mean, that's not necessarily served me very well in the deck, but it's just fun to see these cards and be like, oh, that is the D, like the Dodgy Jalopy is one of the cards in the deck. And that's serving as the Jeep for the whole Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I tend to build decks like that in a way, if I can Okay, so it's so a really kind of going in, really leaning hard into the theme, not just like I'm gonna play a pirate deck. It's I'm literally going to play a theme deck, based around another oh, piece yeah. of media. Exactly, and sure, you know, it's not necessarily always going to work out, but as I've said before, in time again, it is always more about the fun and the gathering, and having other people go, "What does that do?" Like, haha, yes, it works how you think it does. <laughs> yes, that is everything I'm trying to make uh, make happen on the show is literally everything you just said right there. It's all about the fun. It's all about blowing people's minds, just like, uh, you know, Tenacious D in their self-titled movie from like 06, literally blow people's minds with, with, oh, with, with janks, with jank stuff. Uh, see, I forgot about that movie. Oh. Well, I mean, it, it's not it's not hard to forget, but uh, there there were definitely moments that like like that that stand out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's definitely gonna be that. Yeah, no this this deck is it's near and dear to my heart just because Jurassic Park is also near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. And oh, I had it off to the side here actually. All right. Yeah, it's, I love playing it. I almost won with the ginger brute that's in it once. Okay. By making it unblockable. And it's, it was fun. And I had one more point that I could have done. But it, it didn't end up working out as well as I thought it would. You know, I, I find that ginger brute is actually one of those cards that I jam in way more, way more decks than it deserves to be in. Just because it is so good. Is and it's so mana efficient too, which makes it even worse. <laughs> I uh, I I don't think it was Ginger Brute, but I my mono white equipment deck. I have been known to run things like Colossus Hammer and whatnot in there 
So the thought of giving a literal gin, running gingerbread cookie a giant hammer and some other things has always cracked me up. But it also works because the ginger brute actually does um, allow you to basically get through unblockable with the, the most bizarre uh, text box you're probably going to ever see on a magic card um, in, in some ways. I mean, it has nothing on questing beast, obviously, but same set. Um, honestly, fun fact. But yeah, I, I, I love that Gingerbrood stat line. For, and for those who don't know what Gingerbrood does, it's a 1-1 one, one for 1 artifact creature golem um, with haste. You can pay 1 to make Gingerbrood unblockable except by creatures also with haste. And you can then pay 2 mana and tap to gain 3 life. Basically, it's a food token. And it's, what's really cool about this is I actually remembered all of that stuff from memory. So yay me. It's so easy to do, too, just because of how good that card is. I mean, you load it up with equipment, and he's basically unstoppable unless there's spot removal. Yeah, yeah. Gingerbrood's great, and also just even if you're trying to run in a in a meta where you need aggressive creatures, you're trying to do uh, white weenie-type strategies, Boros, aggro, things like that. You can even do this in mono-black aggro, you know? It's just it's great to have a artifact creature that can go in any deck, cost one, has haste, can be unblockable. There's a ton of different things. I mean, again, Yuriko is very popular for this reason, and Ginger Brute can be unblockable. So, yay! You know, it's it just fun, fun little synergies with with that card. I always love seeing Ginger Brute in any list. Oh yes, it's just so much fun too. I mean, that art, that art just looks like so much fun. So, so I guess the question is, uh, when we go to, and and this is kind of outside the scope of this episode, but just fun little tangent. Um, you think we're going to see a new Gingerbrood type card in the Return to Eldraine later here in 2023? I think so. I think we are. Kind of hope, hope so. <laughs> I hope Gingerbrood has like a sister or a relative out there that's just causing chaos. Yeah, I, I, I guess we'll kind of see what uh, would shape the magic sphere is, you know, come. Uh, was it August, September, whenever the, the usual summer slash autumn release is for, for standard sets? I honestly don't know. Uh, yeah, I, my Vorthos heart is breaking right now. But again, that's not really relevant. I'm just curious to know where they're going to go with this. So, um, yeah. Me too. Fun, I am fun too. Things. Oh, yeah. Always fun things. And that kind of surprised me when they introduced Throne of Elf during it anyway. But back to the whole just theme building, because while we were discussing that, I was also looking through the deck to see what was more, like, really super themed. Mm -hmm. And I happened upon a couple of cards in here. All right. Threats, yeah, Threats Undetected, which is a great little tutor, but... Just came out, right, I, from Dominary United. It did. It did. And it's the uh, promo art where the elf is being snuck up on by the some of the locals in the woods. I actually have to look that up. I I know the regular uh, the regular art, which has got that really sinister Phyrexian vibe to it. But um, let's see. Oh, yeah, I guess it only has one one art. But oh, oh well, that's yeah, that's the thing. Thank you, Scryfall. But yeah, good job, Scryfall. Doing your thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. It it reminds me of the scene whenever they're uh Ellie and the Ranger are trying to 
get to the power box and turn back on the power for everything. Okay. And <laughs> the ranger gets snuck up on by all the raptors. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what that makes me think of. He goes, oh, you clever girl. Then just everything goes to crap from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's that's what that makes me think of, at least. And then there was impact tremors. Uh-huh. And enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, impact tremors deals one damage to each opponent. Yes, I hear that's a fair, fairly good red card. Um... I think that's an it understatement, is. actually, but yes, it's a very good card. Oh, yes, it is a very good card, especially with dinosaurs. It's just nuts. But it made me think of, oh, what was it? When a T-Rex first gets out and all the, almost all the jeeps are overturned, but you can just see the shot focusing on the print, the T-Rex footprint. Where mm -hmm. it's got the water in it, and he's stomping, and you just see the water ripples. Yeah, so actually, this makes me wonder, Sarah, are you running Footfall Crater in there? I am not. Yeah, I so I have that card at all. Yeah, so here, here's a fun little card that I've actually had sitting around in my bulk bin for a while, because I thought I had a use for it, didn't find out. It is a one-cost enchantment aura costing one red. You enchant land. Enchanted land has tap to tar give target creature gains trample and haste until end of turn. And also has cycling for one. Oh. And I, oh, I, feel, I feel like in a dinosaur-themed, Jurassic Park-themed deck, you know, it, it fits. It does. It really does. It also, the fun thing is I, I love cycling, honestly. I've never built a cycling deck, but... I just love the utility in game two, especially when it's just one generic mana. That's actually a better rate than a lot of the cycling lands. If actually, if not all of the cycling lands, because typically they require you to pay two or one of that uh, one of that card's regular mana generation color. But mm -hmm. this one just cycling for one, and again, you know, you're 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 basically paying one mana, but you're paying one mana and tapping. Yeah, oh, sorry, you're paying two mana effectively because you know this this. Well, I no, I guess one mana technically. You, yeah, you're tapping to give tar creature trample and haste, which for dinosaurs is real nice. Oh, for sure, especially with some of the bigger ones like mm -hmm. Keyshaft, mm -hmm. as Atali being one of my favorites. Well, there you go. There's my gift to you on this episode: a new dinosaur-themed card that came out of not quite a dinosaur set in Ikoria, but you know, getting getting there. We had Godzilla. It's almost. Almost the same thing ish. Yeah. Jurassic Except Park, just... Kaiju, a, a little different, but you know, same same concept. Yeah, they're both giant lizards. Just one happened to be man made. Yep. Which is always fun. And I I do hope that we get a little bit more of that, to be honest. Yeah, well I mean we are going to be returning to Exelon at the end of the year. Who knows? Yes, more pirates. Okay. <laughs> more. I mean, I honestly, again, you know, just, just in the little Vorthos thing here, I'm not sure how they're gonna how they go about Ixalan. I've heard that they're not gonna go with the the creature types as much. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna. At least that's kind of the the stink of it all right now is that they're not gonna lean into that so much. So, but hopefully, I mean, obviously, it, it's still Ixalan. They're going to have pirates. 
um, you know, going deep into the Vorthos here is we still have some fairly major characters sitting around there from the lore. So, you know, there, it's always possible that uh, something will something come along where you're going to get some new pirates, some new dinosaurs, some new things. Not sure what, but, you know, we'll just, we're just going to have to wait for November or December when that set gets released to see exactly uh, what comes up. Uh, that's true and i honestly i hope that we do get a little bit more of the creatures but again we'll see whenever it happens yep J just fun little segue there to to go uh to, to go beyond that because i know we've been so mired down the, the latest story arc that it feels kind of weird to all of a sudden then be going back to just singular sets so we'll we'll have to see uh in many ways where exactly we go with Exxon. but yeah um, anyway, Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me today. It's been awesome having you on here, and I'm glad I was able to give you an idea for maybe a new card to go in that deck. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it, and honestly, I just love talking about magic, so I'll oh, take yeah. any opportunity to do so. Yeah, it's it, it's always fun. It's, it's why we're here. Exactly. It's the gift that keeps on giving, no matter how much Wizards wants to run it into the ground. Yeah. But, you know, there that's the reason why there's the cards gi card gifts ungiven, you know? It's, exactly. Even though it is technically banned in Commander, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, really, it will, it's like what Olivia has said in the past. The banning or the ban list is really just a guide. It is. It's really just a guide. You can have the cards in your play deck. It's not like the rules committee is going to be there and be like, hey, no, you can't play that. As long as it's cool with whoever you're playing with, go ahead and play with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the problem for me with Gifts Ungiven is it just it gives me those intuition vibes and it just makes me shudder. Um, intuition is already extremely powerful over in CDH and the thought of Gifts Ungiven being unbanned, uh, you know, gives gives you yeah. some gives you some very uh scared thoughts i think so. it does especially when it tutors for as much as it does yeah and i mean since, since intuition is basically you know actually in some ways worse than this card um yeah that's that's some scary stuff but anyway thank you so much yeah, no problem i love being on i'd love to come back all right yeah sounds good we'll definitely have to get that going at some point so yeah all right, and and if you're interested in listening to any of the other Noah Brewer series or episodes on this series or just any of the episodes on the MTG and Quarantine podcast, you can find those on the usual podcast outlets. as your Googles, Apples, Spotify, Player FM, Rocketcast, Podcast, Overcast, Breaker, Magic FM, and a million other ones. I don't honestly remember all of them. There's way too many to remember. But if it's a major podcast outlet, you can probably find my content on there. And also find me on the Twitter at, at MTG in quarantine. I'd like to utilize this opportunity again to give another huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash MTG in quarantine. See a huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Nick S, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, and Coach J Row for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show, help me make more awesome content. Head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG in Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.